Hello, hello. You're listening to For the Girls, Gays and Days, the podcast where two friends process their emotions concerning pop culture of note to the acronymed community. From film to television, music and more, we're here to tell you what caught our queer eyes this week. I'm Colt, he, him. I'm Alex, they, them. Welcome. Welcome to it. This week, we're zooming through Drive to Survive, doing the thing at the BAFTAs, getting hot and sexy down under with parcels, and pondering Marvel mediocrity with Atman of the Wasp, Quantumania. <laughs> to get us started, category is television. Alex, what do you got for me? I have got something that I know you're not interested in right now, <laughs> but I hope you will be by the end of my my little spiel. It's Drive to Survive, a popular Netflix original documentary series that takes viewers behind the scenes of the Formula One Championship. The series debuted in 2019 with seasons comprising of 10 episodes. I wish there were more. Um, it gives exclusive access to the world of Formula One with personalities, tensions, rivalries, team owners, crew members, all the drama. If, you, if you're thinking this is a sports documentary, maybe don't uh, think that way. Think <laughs> closer to Desperate Housewives of New York or Potomac. Oh, Real um, Housewives. Sorry. Yeah, it's yeah. like Desperate Housewives. I was like Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives. That's not the vibe. Mark Cherry <laughs> will never leave my brain. Occasionally, I just picture him. But anyway, yeah, so mm, if you're thinking, sorry that um, happened to you. <laughs> I think Real Housewives of Potomac or Real Housewives of New York, or if the Kardashians did any kind of exertion, because what you actually get is a whole bunch of personalities competing for the same thing. And how they go about it and how they pull each other down. They never build each other up. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like a negative series because you still get um and it's something that they focused on more this season, which I really appreciate, the character arc of a of a human, you know. I think sometimes mm. when we look at a sports person, we only think of the eight world championships like with uh, Lewis Hamilton, or we only think of one moment, but the show really gives you the behind the scenes of getting there so you, you're not really it's mm. not about formula one it's actually about the people um each episode focuses on a particular race and explores the stories of experiences and teams involved the show has been praised for high production value engaging storytelling and insightful interviews so mm. they'll do the classic reality show cutaway to like an all black room or they don't do the below deck kind of fake background, but it'd be funny if they did. So they do a black room, they cut um, to like the diary sessions. and Talking heads, yeah. Yeah, the the team owners and the drivers really tell you what they were going through in those moments mm. or who they have beef with and why. This season, which is the fifth, fifth season of the show, mm. talks about the 2022 season, mm. which... If you only look at the results, it looks like Red Bull had a run. Uh, one team was just running away with it. You know, they were sweeping all the categories. But the reality mm. of it is, is that it actually started off with a different front runner 
a very sexy team with my favorite race car driver, Carl mm-hmm. Sands in it. And um, his teammate, Charlotte Clegg, who was actually leading and due to win and looked like he had it on lock and everything unraveled for him. One one thing I will say is if you don't like Formula One, it doesn't mean you won't like the show. And if mm. you like the show, it doesn't mean that you'll like watching Formula One week in, week out. Yeah. Um, that yeah. is one thing I sort of know about the show is that when it first started, I heard a lot of people talking about how they started watching the show for for the show like they didn't they didn't follow formula one at all but because they'd heard that the show was was a well-made reality docu-series they started watching it and like my sister never watched never watched formula one um i mean our, our dad used to watch it growing up much to our chagrin but so she wasn't really watching formula one and then she watched the the series and then is now following the formula one like actually watching it one thing i did want to get into is how i really enjoyed the structure of the season which kind of Mm. harkened back to maybe um previous seasons that i enjoyed more than season four um where Mm. i felt like the through line was much better and i could i understood the structure much more Mm. whereas season four and maybe season three i felt like it was a bit choppy Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily in editing. It's so hard to quantify. It's the actual storyline, which I think is... That is an editing, though. When it's something like this, where it's an actual real real events. Yeah. If there, if there doesn't feel like a strong through line, that really comes down to the Making the editing the and, and the direction. Because, yeah. <laughs> because it's not like a lot of reality competition series, which will be a lot more influenced by producers and a lot more planned and and produced i imagine with something like this which is a lot more on the docuseries side than necessarily the reality side it's it's up to the filmmakers to construct a story with what they have make choices yeah what to include and what not to include so perhaps Um, they have less to work with with the fourth with the fourth series in terms of satisfying stories Oh, yeah, it's, actually, oh, they had some most to work with in season four, I think, but they oh. kind of got caught up in the source and maybe oh, right. too, too um, hyper focused. Which is which that is, is something that that my sister was criticizing the show. Mm-hmm. Like she loves the show. Don't get me wrong; she's going to be so mad at yeah. me for saying that she's not criticizing the show. She loves the show, but she was saying to me that it's starting to feel like a trailer, the way that it's edited. And the way it's presented, yeah. it doesn't feel as much like a like a story necessarily as it is a sizzle reel trailer for. I think I was when I watched the first few episodes. I can see I can see that being true, but I think for me, my standouts, mm-hmm. some of them um, were, were the Yuki Sonoda episode, which I think is around the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole second half of the season, I found very strong. There's mm. one moment that I think everybody will be talking about, which I think did involve a little bit of, for me, the show is closest to, if you look at other reality shows, if you look at Below Deck, because they also have to, not sporting events, but events that, it's not a reality competition show. It's like a real mm-hmm. event that's happening and they sort of have to document it and see how people mm-hmm. are feeling in the moment. So I think there's one moment that really felt like um, one of those confrontational dinners um that we see on all the housewives yeah. franchises 
Yeah. Where I, I personally, for me, I don't know if it was just the pressure of a moment, but we saw a team owner who's usually the epitome of cool and calm and collected, almost like somebody whispered in his ear, go upset everybody <laughs> with three sentences. <laughs> go read them for salt, Mary. And this man, very <laughs> handsome, tall German man, um, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Each, and like pointed at people and like got in their faces. And I was like, brilliant. You know, this is... <laughs> you were like, slow That's clap. how you tell a story, girl. <laughs> That's how you keep sprinkling yeah. it. Like, brilliant. I, yeah. I think for me, much later than the previous season, excited mm. me about the F1 season to come. But mm. I think if you like reality shows more than you like sport, this is the show for you. If you want to find somebody to root for, this is the show for you. It is an entry point to the sport. That was something I did want to say. It does kind of, it mm. has been sort of a ramp into the sport for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be. Don't don't go in thinking that you're going to experience drive yeah. to survive when you watch the race on Saturday. You won't go. Yeah, no. I mean, no. It is, it's, it's scandalized. It is. I will say... The reason that it has come up on my personal radar, apart from the fact that my sister and 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 my dearest Alex watch the show, is because of of the attractive boys. The most uh-huh. attractive of which is, uh, I gather, no longer a part of the show. Daniel Ricardo. Yeah, a nose yep. so big it, uh, it mm. could be seen from. I love that. He's man. he's one of my favorite um, genres of of attractive men. Mm. They lack a certain amount of privilege because they used to be ugly. And they sort of grew into their faces <laughs> or like puberty came for them later in life and, oh, and blessed dead. them. And I think he's that genre of like, he used to be from, from all accounts I've heard, not, not very attractive. And he definitely grew into his nose and his teeth and is now an extremely attractive man. And he's hot. Yeah. He is a hot to trot. And but yeah, he has that, that little bit of something because he doesn't have like, he's got, He's got newfound pretty privilege, which can be a really interesting vibe for people who who have not grown up with that is very different to someone who's, say, been exceedingly attractive from a very young age. Those people are always um, a certain breed that you can spot. He definitely wasn't. Mm. In case you haven't heard of Daniel Ricardo from Australia, running theme through this podcast, it seems to me, but... From Australia, has been in F1 for a good number of years. One of the producers said that the reason Drive to Survive exists is because of Daniel Ricciardo. Mm. He has that kind of magnetism that you only find when you... As I say, like he's managed to penetrate my sphere, which is so anti-sports in so many ways. I'm sure you would like him to penetrate your sphere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well chosen. Um, (laughs) He he has the thing, you know, and I think it is a bit sad that he lost his drive. That's what they call it. We don't have a seat in F1 anymore. But on the other hand, he might come back. He might not. The man has a development deal in with Hulu. And I hope Hulu doesn't get sold to Disney so he can still make it. I think he's uh, he is great to watch. A lot of the mm. drivers are great to watch. I think only one or two of them have the personality of uh, boiled bologna. But uh, <laughs> few and far between. A lot of, at least the ones the producers have chosen to focus on, are sexy or interesting or have mm. like a little bit of mm-hmm. something to them. Even if you hate them, it's still good TV. We spoke about this, I think, a few podcasts ago, but it emotes... It pulls emotion out of you when you see mm. them on screen. 
Mm. Um, and there's only like one driver maybe who doesn't do that for me. But other than that, pretty great lineup. I do like reality TV. I like a docuseries. It's, I have worked in sports related reality series myself now. So I have an appreciation for it. I have a respect for it. (laughs) I've been accused of many things, Alex Isaacs, (laughs) but never that. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. To something entirely not sports related, but still competitive. Put it that way. (laughs) Somewhat still in the category of television. I'm going to be talking about the BAFTAs. The 76th British Academy Film Awards took place on the 19th of February at the Royal Festival Hall in London. It's one of the major precursors for awards predictors for the Oscars. And we we will be doing a full Oscars prediction podcast, I think, next week which is the week before the ceremony takes place, um, where I'm going to go through all the categories, all the, the ones that I think should win, the ones that actually will win, all that jazz. But the BAFTAs, all quiet on the Western Front, took home Best Film and about six other awards, mm. hugely overperforming in the eyes of a lot of people, which it shouldn't really have been surprising given that it got 14 nominations. I've watched I've watched All Quiet. I think it is a very good film. I think in my personal ranking, it's probably about like fifth out of like the ten best picture nominees, fourth, fifth around there. Oh. Very good, very good. I think a lot of the oh. a lot of the categories it's won for are are warranted. Sound for sure, cinematography absolutely. A couple of the others I think should go to different things, but that's besides the point. It did it did very well. Banshees of Nishirin was expected to perform really well because people sort of think of it as a British film even though it is Irish which is not the same thing oh don't tell the Irish yeah no and I think <laughs> there was a moment because Banshees of Inisherin won best British film and the, the filmmakers did get up and sort of sort of say like this this is nice but like not really true but yeah they uh, Banshees did actually overperform in in certain categories though I would say that it's oh. it's it's a film that that both under and overperformed in terms of the overperforming it was with a couple of huge upsets in the acting categories the biggest of which is Kihoi Kwan losing out to Barry Keoghan breaking what many saw as an unstoppable streak Kihoi Kwan has won every supporting actor award in this entire season from from critics from from different award like everybody and this is yeah and people thought for sure that he was going to win this one as well nope went to barry keegan who was good was good he was my number two he would have been my number two it wasn't expected but it wasn't expected great performance yeah hugely shocked yeah yeah kids Colin Farrell holding his kid, like yeah, it was yeah. cute. It was cute. Thrill for him. Um, yeah. and then of course Carrie Condon was the the other sort of surprise, serving as I think a little bit of a speed bump for mm. the person who's kind of looked at as the Oscars front runner at the moment, which is Angela Bassett. <laughs> Speaking of, did the thing. I just have I just have a little a little bit of I'm I'm bringing <laughs> a exhibit to to the pod. Um, yes, Chantel. I'm calling this. I'm calling this exhibit A for Angela. Here we go. Angela 
think, can I just break your thought for a minute, just to give mm. my very, very odd opinion. It was camp. It was joy. It was gay rights. She is the moment. I, for me, yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, so, of course, that, in, in case you didn't know, because apparently people don't. Apparently people don't. I've I've recently had conversations what with some... What kind of people call... What do these people have in common? With some heterosexual people. Oh, no. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I have some I have some friends. Some of my best friends are straight. I don't know, I don't know what to say. Some of my best friends. Some of them. But yeah. <laughs> so that was... That was the opening... <laughs> that was from the opening number of the BAFTAs. <laughs> um, some would say the real star of the show. Yeah. In terms of uh, gay Twitter fame slash infamy. Mm-hmm. That was Ariana DeBose. As part of her opening number, had a, I'm going to say rap, rap in air quotes. Sing, rap sing. About the women nominated at the BAFTAs that year. And that particular portion, which has gone completely viral on, on gay Twitter and gay TikTok, mm-hmm. was around the acting nominees. It has been plastered all over my interwebs and stuck in my head all week. Specifically, Angela Bassett did the thing. Viola Davis, Davis, my woman king. king. (laughs) And increasingly, I'm seeing a lot of people sort of critiquing the the sort of critiquing slash like really invested in that it carries on with Blanchett Kate. You're a genius <laughs> instead of Kate Blanchett. You're a genius, which would have worked. It's the same amount of syllables. It's it's the same. It's the same two words. It's the same rhythm, which is to say that it lacks rhythm. Um, <laughs> I I watched this live, and this oh. moment happened, and I was very. My face was identical to the faces of the actresses that were shown on screen, which is like Kate Blanchett was so good. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, this is this is interesting. This is a swing. They cut um, to each one of them as they sit in the park. Risks were taken. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, you are all of us? What? Yeah. How? How and you? Jamie was living. Jamie was living for it. I think there was like two people who were like really into it. And then the other people were just like, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> this is a choice. Um, as you say, it's oh. camp. It is so camp. Oh. It's bad. It's not yeah. like... <laughs> On a technical level, the poor Mm. thing was so out of breath the entire time. She'd been, presumably she'd rehearsed it not running up and down steps. Is the only thing I can think of is that it it didn't didn't really take into account the amount of steps that are in the Royal Festival Hall. Um, (laughs) So she's so out of breath. Her hair is 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 not where it's ha- it should be. Yeah, it's, it's going its own vibe. <laughs> oh, bless it. But it's it it is instantly iconic and it's completely. Iconic. It's fun. I've seen more people praise it than criticize it, and even the people that I've yeah. seen criticize it is very much in a good natured way. They're like, "This is an earworm that I do not understand." Yeah. I do not understand it. I don't know why she uses a different naming convention for all of them. <laughs> Some people get a first name. Some people get a last name. Some people get a first name with an initial. Some people get a last name, then a first name. Some people get their full name. Angela Bassett got her full name. And it's even gone to, like, I've I've sent you so many TikToks about this now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had Lizzo on stage. 
during yeah. one of her tour performances where she got a little emotional. She was like, right, no, I have to shake it off. Angela Bassett did the thing. Um, <laughs> you had Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett did the thing. Uh, yeah. um, you had Angela Bassett herself, the, the queen legend, icon and star, receiving an award at the NAACP saying, I guess Angela Bassett did the thing while she's receiving her award. It's just... It is camp. It is a moment in pop culture history, and it has completely passed the straits by. Oh, <laughs> not one, not two, but is. three straight people I know. I was like, right. So I'm going to talk about on the pod. I think I'm going to talk about the Baftas on the podcast this week, and they're like, oh, what happened at the Baftas? And I'm like, Angela Bassett did, did the thing, <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh you've really not seen this. It's when I sort of realized that the algorithm really algorithms, hey? Yeah, people go deep on it. And I also think what's, what was so funny about it to me was even the <laughs> real life algorithm, like she was on the BBC um, sometime earlier this week mm. and the interview was like, oh, I just want to talk about it. You know, I enjoyed it. Huh? Trying to console her about the fact that she had to delete her Twitter. And she was like, yeah, I mean, it was camp. I enjoyed it. And Baz Luhrmann came up to me and said, I loved it. And I was like, yeah, you see? He's like, Gates yeah. would have loved it. But also yeah. I want to talk about that like Twitter thing. People yeah. have like gone to her Twitter account, seen that it's been deactivated and been like, oh, it's because of the Angela Bassett thing. No, it's not. What? Her account has been deactivated since like June last year. She's been oh. off Twitter for a minute. But people have only just now seen, assuming it's because of like the the quote unquote backlash, which hasn't really been a backlash. It's just been people going, what the fuck was this? I live. I, I haven't <laughs> seen any backlash. I've just seen um, gay people going, uh, doing yeah. it. <laughs> like, this is my head. Yeah, this is just in my head. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. And we're back. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to. And the category is music. Yes. Alex, what have we listened to? Well, now I'm going to take you down under and introduce you to a funky, disco, sexy boy band. And by boy band, I mean the band only has boys in it. And we won't hold that against them. It's no one's fault. Yeah. Um, they're called Parcels. They're from Australia. They're a five-piece band from Byron Bay. They were formed in 2014. Louis Swan, Patrick Hetherington, Noah Hill, Anatole Serret, and Jules Cameron. I'm massacring all those names, but essentially just five sexy lads. They're a mix of disco, funk, and pop with electronic and indie rock elements. Uh, their influences are Daft Punk, Steely Dan, and the Beach Boys, and they've been compared to Phoenix and Jungle. The band gained international recognition in 2017 with their single Overnight, which was produced by Daft Punk. Mm. They have cashy synth hooks, smooth harmonies, and sort of a retro style, sort of a 70s feel to them. Mm. Their self-titled debut album was released in 2018 and got lots of positive reviews, but for me, I think it's more about aligning with what you listen to. Uh, they 
very much in the vein of what I listen to on a Friday night or what I listen to mm. in the morning when I'm going into work and I need a positive vibe. They have kind of a smooth feel to them. Mm. So you don't feel like you're being shouted at in the morning. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think it's a great foray into what I call, and a lot of other people probably, <laughs> New Disco, where mm. it's, it's blending uh, more electronic noises with the more analog style of disco that you might have mm. known or grown accustomed to as a queer person. Mm. It's the kind of music that I think the first listener shows you one thing, the second listen really opens up uh, the room for you. Mm. And they appeal to a wide range of people. I don't think, I think in the past, maybe I've spoken about one or two singers that have are fairly down a darker path that would only appeal to a certain number of people. Mm. I think this is definitely the popcorn chicken of of my recommendations. Um, and if you don't enjoy them, but you kind of enjoy some of their songs, I would definitely definitely recommend going listen to Phoenix, going to listen to um, Jungle, like I said earlier, and maybe mm. if you haven't done it already, putting on um, Daft Punk's last record. I hadn't heard of them, as with a lot of your recommendations. This was a time where I actually hadn't heard of them, not like some of your other recommendations where I'm like, <laughs> never heard of her. And then it turns out I have four of her songs saved on my phone. This one I really had not heard of. I didn't have any of their music. I had no real recollection of them whatsoever after after looking them up. I've listened to their most recent album a couple of times now. And yeah, absolutely. I was going to say the the Daft Punk. I, I heard that. I was like, this sounds like Daft Punk circa 2013, like driving around in your car in Seapoint. That yeah. was that was the vibe I was getting with some of it, but also I was getting a little bit of like Bell and Sebastian, yeah, um, and more than a little bit of like film score. Ah, my life is a movie. Huge yeah. amounts of it, just not not just on like a one one song, like many of the songs. I was like, this is very music forward. The f- there were big sections without any any actual singing. It was just music. And yeah. it felt very sort of film TV score. It felt very cinematic, which leads in very well to like where you're, you're talking about how you listen to it, sort of like in the morning when you're like trying to get up and go places. Something that yeah. I do, I listen to like film scores a lot when I'm sort of like on my commute or like when I'm reading and stuff. Just to have sort of contextualize. I like... I. I don't want to be like all main character syndrome, but I like to sort of like listen to it to help me get into my main character mode on like a morning commute, just like get in my zone, listen to some like epic score or whatever, not even epic score, just some like score of a movie or a TV show that I really loved to to sort of get in that vibe and definitely listening to to the, the album that came out last year. Day Night is a great record. My favorite song in Day Night at the moment is Something Greater. I think mm. it, it it's a hopeful, happy record. Um, but yeah, it does feel like it does feel cinematic in a lot of yeah in a lot of what it does. Um, and I do feel like they take it very seriously. You can tell that it's people who've studied mm. and structure something with layers to it. But at the same time, you don't have to be serious when you listen to it. Like I think some bands um, with a certain amount of talent and a certain number of men will really get into the weeds of like letting you know how yeah. good of a musician they are. 
And these yeah. guys just create vibes, which I appreciate. Another band that I will recommend, if you like this band, is a band called Los Bichos, um, mm. who have the same type of music forward, not too many lyrics, if there are any um, cinematic feel to them. I think they're a great band too. And made up of all women, so I guess... Mm. Um, more our vibe. Yeah. yeah, more, more of my vibe. vibe. Um, but uh, these boys are very good, very good at performing live too. Uh, they have a couple of sessions that you can look up that are, are great. Thank you for the recommendation, Alex. Yay, I'm happy you like them. Right, well, moving on to the next category, which is film. Film. Colty, tell me about the latest Marvel flop. Right, so Ant-Man <laughs> and the Wasp Quantumania is the latest entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is directed by Peyton Reed. To give you just a general idea of what the plot was, following some shenanigans, Ant-Man and the gang find themselves in the quantum realm, and at odds with the new big bad for Phase 5, Kang the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors. Look. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. It's not good. It's not bad. Oh no. It's just fine. Oh no. Most of the reviews that I've seen roughly amount to it is a film. And it sure did come out. <laughs> I can agree with that review, but the library is about to be open because I have a lot of issues with it. Tell me, girl. Let it out. Firstly, A. Uh-huh. The script is mind-numbingly mediocre. Like, I can't even say it's a bad script because it's fine. It's serviceable. It does the job. It gets the characters from A to B to C to D. And back to A again. Secondly, what is bad is the editing. The editing. Mary. <laughs> It's not even it's not even like the action sequences, which it tends to be with a lot of these things where I'm like the editing's bad. It's just it's most editing instead of actual good editing. It's not even the action scenes that I have a problem with. I'm talking standard back and forth dialogue exchanges are cut in such an odd, distracting way. Like there were several dialogue exchanges. I'm like, who cut this? Plus, there are like entire scenes that needed to be cut out. There was a point where you had a couple of characters were in their own thing and another couple of characters were on their own thing and they hadn't quite gotten back together yet. So while that's happening, they were cross-cutting between scenes. But watching the scene happening, I'm like, I don't think the scene needs to be here. And then they 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 cross cut to another scene, and then they come back to finish off that scene. I'm like, yep, you could have just started the scene here. That must have taken you out of it, like in a huge way. I mean, it it doesn't take much for me to start noticing the edit. To be honest, as someone who edits for a living, like it doesn't take much for me to start noticing the edit. But yeah, there are whole scenes as well that just needed to be cut down tighter. It's this absolutely could have been a 90 minute film, Oof. but of course it's not. It's two and a half hours. And it it really doesn't need to be. There is so much, there's so much fat that could have been cut. It's it could have been a really tight, lean film. 
My last point, because I'm still going, is that the direction is giving bare minimum. Mm-hmm. It's giving in over your head. It's giving phoned it in. Mm. Everything that made the first two Ant Man films stand out in any way, because I'm I'm in the minority of I quite enjoyed, especially yeah. the first Ant Man film. I quite enjoyed that I enjoyed one. The first Ant Man, I yeah. enjoyed the first Ant Man too. Yeah, I like aspects of the second one. Genuinely enjoyed the first one, and all those yeah. aspects that made that film feel like it stood out from the Marvel pantheon are just gone. There's no heists There's no sort of street level weirdness There's no Michael Pena as Louise There's no Michael Pena? No Michael Pena She tries And the quantum realm Takes away from the impact Of the miniature action set pieces Or the macro ones Like there's just The sense of scale is just not really there when you're in this entirely computer-generated world, this entirely computer-generated landscape. Apparently it was not filmed necessarily on green screen. It was filmed on the volume, which is sort of popularized by The Mandalorian and was used to bad effect in Thor Love and Thunder. I just think that Marvel maybe doesn't know how to use the volume very effectively because The Mandalorian does it to a level of like you... I did not realize that they'd filmed it in that. Like when I exactly. saw the behind the scenes and I was like, oh, this is how you, f- yeah. I legitimately thought these were filmed on location and it wasn't, it was filmed in the volume. And that I could not say the same thing about either of the Marvel films that have used the volume technology. It's hmm, visually, it looks like Spy Kids 3D. Mm, that if you, a bad if you recall that, but for the time, Spy Kids 3D was a little bit out of date. Now, it was. it's like 20 years later or something like that. I don't know. I can't do maths okay. and I don't want to do the maths because it'll make me feel older than I already do. But the point is, it just it, it looks muddy. It looks like there's just like a brown haze. So why do it? Because... Like video game visual effects. And honestly, it's 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 no fault to the VFX artists. I cannot I cannot so blame much, yeah. them for it because it is well documented the extent to which they are overworked and undervalued at Disney yeah. and at Marvel. Forced to meet Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs turnaround deadlines. But like my question about this was, and it, it often happens, it happens more before the most recent phase of Marvel, it happened more with Netflix movies. But why? what is this desire to make actors and directors make a piece of art or make a piece of content that they don't want to be there for? And you can feel it in their output that they yeah. don't want to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's a big part of the reviews I'm seeing for Ant-Man is that yeah. it felt like um, the director and maybe some of the stars just didn't even want to make this movie. And it's tough. If you can see that on screen, it must have been I hell just, when they're making it. I don't think that Peyton Reed was the right choice to do it. I know that like he's done the other Ant-Mans, and I think he's sort of like the first novel director to like get through a full franchise, to get through a full trilogy. So, you know, more power to yeah. him. But I don't think it was the right choice. I don't think 
and look, I, I mean, I've, I've read I've read this film to filth, but the point is, I don't hate it. That's I'm not mad. Though. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> it's like, at least they gave you one emotion to feel, but if you're feeling... The, like, like this was not how I, how I necessarily felt coming directly out of the film. When I came out of the film, I was like, that was fine. That happened. That was a film I watched. I wasn't. I wasn't like checking my watch. I wasn't like being like, "Oh God, I can't wait to get out of here." But I wasn't like, "I can't wait to watch this again." Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, um, I'm sure there'll be people who enjoy it out there, but I don't know if I'm going to pay the exorbitant price to go to a cinema to watch it. Wait for Disney Plus, girl. It's coming. Yeah. Um. It just felt underbaked. It just feels like a box checked. On the phase mm. five to-do list Like they were like, right, we need to start Setting up Kang in a meaningful way So let's do it in Ant-Man I, <laughs> I would still probably, when Kang comes out I'm probably going to watch it, if I'm real with you um, Oh no, I I will be sat For all of these Like I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I saw this about a week late. Like this, I didn't watch this at opening weekend. I've just watched it. It's it's a over. It's been over a week since it came out. And look, a lot has been said about franchise fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, the MCU being the sort of poster child for the frustration with the relentless grinding mouse house machine that has increasingly churned out empty calorie products to get a sense of the oversaturation. In 2021, we had four feature films and five series released into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That is roughly 40 hours of content. Or zero. Too much. To be fair, this was post-COVID catch-up. Um, nothing came out in 2020, so they were sort of trying to get back on on track with things. Last year, it was down to three features and three series to about 20 hours of content. Which, frankly, if you're looking mm. at the MCU as one big multi-platform TV show, which I do, is not actually... It's it's about what you'd expect from an old school network show to be twenty two hours of TV, yeah. but it feels stretched too thin. It feels like they're churning out factory grade chicken pies and not artisanal handcrafted pies, you know. Which yeah, and when you have a system that's spending so much money and making so much money. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect artistry or expect at the bare minimum a level of care that I feel like this film feels like it was missing. It just feels like it was missing, like you say, people giving a shit, people wanting to make it great beyond just being the next film to get to Avengers Kang Dynasty. I think and I as think I said, that I will be I will be sat for the next entry. I'm, I'm looking forward to the new Guardians movie in I'm a couple of months. To, um, I'm very excited for the Marvels. Yeah, the very Marvel. excited for the Marvels in November. And I'm I'm excited for for um I think Secret Invasion is the TV show. I think that's the next Disney Plus TV show. I'm excited for that. I will be sad. But like I've heard that there is like a, a conscious reevaluation at Disney 
I think it's it's sort of more been direct. It's already been directed at Star Wars in terms of putting out quality over quantity. They're like giving the films a bit more time. Maybe cutting down on some of the series and stuff that they've announced and some of the movies they've announced. Being like, do we need? Do we need to make this? Are we going to be able to give this the level of care that it needs? If not, maybe hold on to it for now. Because the thing is, it's like it's it's people keep talking about how is the bubble going to burst? Are people going to stop watching? No, no, people aren't. People are going to keep turning up. People are going to keep watching. So they have a captive audience. For years, for decades to come, you don't need to do it all now. You can go back to two films a year. You can go back to like two series a year. Like it's, it's not gonna. You're. They're still gonna make hundreds of millions of dollars. I also think, for me, in my opinion, as much as we all love the folks uh, like Kevin Feige um, and the Bob. The first Bob, not the second Bob, at the top of um, <laughs> Disney that came back. I mean, as great as the division has been and some of the other folks have been, maybe it's just time for new people to bring new ideas, you know, new people to have new ways of dealing with directors and new ways of dealing with writers. The fresh perspectives, of- I, I, see, I see that with films like Wakanda Forever, with Ryan Coogler, that was yeah. that was an artfully made film. Yeah. Visually, there were so many frames that could be framed in that film. Mm. I don't think there's a single frame frame in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumanium that could be framed. Sorry to the, the frame. And like, <laughs> um, even Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness with Sam Raimi, even that had had a had a specific creative direction. Which it, wasn't, always it, it wasn't everybody's yeah. cup of tea. I personally really enjoyed it. I personally really enjoyed it. I personally yeah. really enjoyed and again, being able to connect with the character of like Wanda as well, being able to expand on that. I think it's sort of about characters. And I think that was a, also a problem with this film is that there's a certain there has been a certain lack of chemistry and a certain between the sort of leads of this franchise. Like I don't and think I, I'd miss Evangeline Lilly. That's and that's so frustrating to me because I really enjoy the Wasp and as Hope Van Dyne as a character from the comics, from from some of the TV shows. I remember growing mm. up, the like the Avengers TV show, the Wasp used to be one of my favorite characters. Mm. But yeah, I just think I I don't know if it's the thing if she's been underwritten or underdirected. Because Evangeline Lilly is is, yeah. is capable. I mean, as much as I lost last time, we as do, much as I dis- her disliked her character on Lost, I cannot she, fault she her work. Yeah, she did. I cannot well. fault her work on Lost. So I do think that she's a very good. She's a good performer. I just don't think that the Hope Van Dyne has been particularly well written <laughs> from the second yeah. film on. I don't think she's been particularly well written. I don't particularly think that Scott's daughter was particularly well written in this. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm in that writing room. There's just one. Just one guy. Mm-hmm. Just when, one guy. One. One. Yeah. It didn't. It, but that's the thing. Is that it didn't feel badly written. It didn't feel all over the place. It felt like it was written by one guy. But it felt like it was written by one guy who was quite quitting. 
Like it felt like it was written by one guy who was like, okay, um, I finished. Best quote about this. I finished. I finished on time. (laughs) I finished and I finished it on time, but I didn't care about it. That's how it. That's how it felt. Well, which is so sad. It's heartbreaking to me because I don't. Yeah. And it's the reason that I, I didn't rush out on opening weekend. I didn't like rush to go see it. I was fine checking in a week later. And I haven't I haven't seen any spoilers. I haven't been in any danger of spoilers because no one's talking about it because no one else cares. Absolutely no one's spoken about it. I've seen more about yeah. Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean, what's the spoiler there? Absolutely nothing, but people are excited about it. People die, a bear does coke, you know. Yeah, um, and somehow still probably better written with more character depth. That's what hurts. That's what I think sucks. I hope you know. But you know what maybe... it is. You know what it is. It's that the filmmakers are having fun. Elizabeth Banks directing that. She's having a blast making her I little Coke Bear movie based on a real story. Had a laugh. Yeah, I don't. She is like um, just pure bands. Like I think when she pitches ideas, she's like, "What I'm gonna do is um, really make an entire feature-length film about this thing that was a news story for a week." <laughs> and everybody says, yeah. "Yeah, you want money? You want you want money for that? Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, you want like we have no marketing budget, but can you whisper it to the game? <laughs> yeah." Okay. And that's what all you need to do. Anyway. On that note, we are out of time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow us on socials, we are at girlsgaysthays underscore pod on Instagram and TikTok. And you can watch our beautiful faces on YouTube, should you so wish. And join us again next week for another sip of queer culture. Cheers. Yeah. Angela Bassett did the thing. Angela Bassett did the thing.